The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I have to ask, have you been following this flap from uh, with uh, Belgian team director Patrick Lefebvre? I have not. What is the flap? What are they flapping about? <sighs> he, well, I mean, he's kind of old school Belgian, which is to say he's probably... Right. Uh, well, yeah, we'll just leave that alone. Um, not, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And, uh, somebody asked him if he was going to do like some of the other big pro teams and start a women's team. And, uh, his answer was, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a welfare system, you know, like the, the one, the Belgian government has, uh, this, Mm. this is not a system of welfare. Which and then he like went on to say, you know, there are no fast uh, Belgian women except for one or two on other teams. You know, he's like, so I can't hire them because they're on those teams. And then, you know, you look at all the recent results uh, and there are a lot of really fast Belgian women. So there's the fact that like he's factually wrong. okay, just just wrong. There are a lot of really Mm. fast Belgian Mm -hmm. women. And then there's the fact that he's just a complete, giant, gaping (laughs) jerk. Did you see this? This may seem unrelated to you, but there's a another story out there that um, a group of scientists is raising money to um, reintroduce mammoths to Siberia. Well, they could just start and so with the point, Yeah, so the point is that dinosaurs may walk among us, you know, and we're just not aware. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think efforts to bring certain species back are probably ill-advised. Um, hmm. You know, they, everybody loves to show that that fossilized skull of the megalodon, which the spacing of the teeth is actually wrong, so the jaw wouldn't really be that large. <laughs> Uh, some things don't need to be brought back, you know, from the past. And we have certain things here in the present that we don't much need either. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my, yeah, that was my point. Yeah. Dinos- yeah. Dinosaurs are walking amongst us, at least in terms of thought. Yes. The I, meteor didn't kill all the dinosaurs. <sighs> Stupid meteors. Yeah. <laughs> How are you this morning? <clears throat> I'm pretty... Well, I'm pretty well. I'll be I'll be completely upfront uh, with you and say that I've got I'm I'm running on my feet uh, an ultra marathon in about a week and a half, and it's consuming my entire brain. Mm. Most yeah. of my waking hours uh, are visited by thoughts about it, thoughts and feelings. Uh huh. And, uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's, um, 
it's an interesting way to think about your fitness and what you have to do. <laughs> it, I'm sure it must force a lot of examination of that. <clears throat> uh, you know, one of the things I love about bikes is coasting and uh, ultras <laughs> yeah. have exactly 0% coasting. There's no coasting. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, okay. Let's, let's back up a second. You know, people say ultra and <clears throat> that's, um, I get that you need a, an umbrella term for everything that's dumber than a marathon. Right, right. Um, yep. <laughs> but, uh, out of, out of deference and respect, uh, for people crazy and a, and a version just ever so slightly different from my own. How ultra is this ultra? Are we talking 50K, 31 miles? Are we talking? It's a 50K, okay. yeah. So it's it's the mini ultra. <laughs> if, that's, <laughs> if that's such a, it's the baby ultra. I don't know how to. Uh, it's the least ultra of all ultras. That's, that is true. Yeah. Uh, that is true. But it's still, I mean, <clears throat> that's it's a long time on your feet. I will have ever run assuming that I can run it. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you thinking that you will do this, uh, in strictly daylight hours? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking it's going to take me about seven hours. Okay. Which on a bike with coasting isn't that big a deal. It's a big deal. Seven hours is a long time to be active. Yeah. Yeah. I can attest. But it is a different beast. Um, And the other piece of it is that I am nursing a pretty good case of Achilles tendonitis. Oh, oh. Like with a big fibrous lump in in my Achilles, which I'll be begging the doctor to shoot full of cortisone tomorrow. (laughs) Ooh, man. Yeah. I recoil just hearing about that. Listeners may now disregard everything else I say during today's episode because they're like, this guy's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think what this suggests is we can trust you where bicycles are concerned, but we probably shouldn't trust you where running is concerned. Well, you know, I wrote a piece for the site uh, very recently called Ride the Lightning. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And the point of... (laughs) The point of Ride the Lightning is that sometimes you need to do stupid things and sometimes you just need to follow things to their conclusion, you know, kind of no matter what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to drag my body through this thing with the full intention immediately thereafter of, you know, do of resting. Um, God, I've been dreaming about my mountain bike, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to be able to get back on the mountain bike three, four days a week. Um will be therapeutic for my ankle and also a great break from running. <laughs> uh, I, I wish you lots of luck with that. Um, I should probably wish you something else as well, but I'm not sure what that is at this moment. Uh, next week's show, I'm sure I'll have come up with it. Okay. All right. I'll wait. <laughs> All right. What's your pull on today? So my wife has a joke she delivers often when I'm on my way out for a ride. She says, oh, I like your costume. And (laughs) we we laugh at that joke every time, first of all, because it's funny, uh, but also 
uh, we're married and this is one of our jokes. We like the joke, but we also like each other. So we laugh. Um, the joke also extends to observing cyclists out in the world. Um, you know, we're driving around mm -hmm. and we're observing people out in the world. We see what they have on and then we have sort of evaluate their costume for appearance, uh, propriety to the purpose, mm -hmm. uh, and appropriateness for weather. Okay. And suffice it to say, we see a lot of pretty great costumes. Mm -hmm. Now, before you get your hackles up thinking that we're out there judging people and laughing at them, we are. <laughs> well, that, I mean, I was hoping. Uh... Yeah, but this is part of the point I'm trying to make, which is that we all look pretty ridiculous in cycling attire. And it doesn't matter to me whether you are turned out in the finest, uh, the finest um, latest scientific development in aerodynamic moisture wicking uh, Swiss engineered matchy match wonderfulness mm -hmm. with, you know, carbon fiber shoes that lace with iguana tongues. Or if you're wearing a pair of baggy gym shorts from the eighties, uh, and, and, uh, shoes that should have seen the garbage can last year. I don't care. Um, we all look pretty silly. And if you live inside the cycling bubble, you've had that leotards and tap shoes thing normalized in your mind. I have. Mm -hmm. Yep. Guilty. Mm -hmm. But I have enough non-cycling friends to know that I look silly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. And I think it's good to embrace that rather than saying, no, this is the right thing to wear for this specific activity and to justify with all this stuff. We should be saying, this is my fancy cycling costume. And just own that. Mm -hmm. The other side of this coin is that you don't have to have that fancy costume to ride a bike. You can wear any old thing. Yes, you can wear the gym shorts from the 80s. And if, you know, if you're going a long way, a chamois in your shorts is real nice, but it's not required. Um, I see people wearing full cycling kit tooling around on hybrid bikes at eight miles per hour. That's not necessary. It's just a fancy costume, but it's also fantastic. They yeah. look fantastic in their fancy costume. And I see very serious cyclists in those matchy-matchy things, all Rafa, pink and black. Utterly ridiculous. Also superb. <laughs> <laughs> I see kids in, uh, in gym shorts. My kids basically dressed the first 15 years of their lives as if they were just headed to PE class. And I see them out not my kids specifically, but I see kids dressed like that in like big, you know, oversized cotton t-shirts, absolutely ripping jumps. I wouldn't dare go off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. They don't know it's not awesome, but it is awesome. So <laughs> this is all to say the clothes do not make the rider. The legs do. And even beyond that, whoever's having the most fun is probably wearing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. All of us living inside the bubble would do well to remember that, I think, and stop taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Uh, my friends out in West County that I mountain bike with most Sundays and whenever else I can manage to get out there, uh, I show up and generally speaking, I am the only person not in baggies. 
I am the only person looking mm. like I'm ready to, you know, line up for a crit or something, um, or a mm. group ride. <clears throat> um, you know, and it's one of those things, like, I know I look different from everybody else. I'm comfortable. Um, <clears throat> that one's a funny one because I know a lot of people who are head to toe in Lycra that don't need to be mountain bikers. And when I mountain bike, I wear baggies too, but they don't make a ton of sense. They catch on the saddle. Like I don't actually think big baggy shorts make sense on a mountain bike. It's just what someone, some group of someone's decided was the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, my attitude is if you're more comfortable that way, uh, go for it. But yeah, I don't like catching uh the the crotch of the shorts on the saddle um what i dislike even more and distinctly dislike and this guides my decision more than any single other thing if i sweat a lot and i have baggies on and i have a pair of bibs on under that and i'm gonna have a pair of bibs on underneath my baggies because i want the pad to stay put well i end up getting sweaty and then the baggies get wet but once they're wet, they can't wick any moisture away from the bibs. So then I just end up soaked and mm. I, you know, I end up with the, uh, <clears throat> you know, Simeon hindquarters <laughs> monkey butt. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I could lead you to this confession. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm one of those. It's like, I don't, I don't care. I may, I may look like the goofball. Um, I'm rolling with this. On the complete other side, one of the great comedies of my life down in Southern California is that I would go pick up uh, my eldest, Philip, back when he was still in preschool. Uh, He was at a school uh, in Manhattan Beach, um, and it's a pretty Tony little area. And I'd get down there and... All the fancy Manhattan Beach housewives uh, with the, you know, ultra expensive Lululemon and whatever else leggings on would be scandalized by me showing up on the tandem in normal bibs and a jersey. So I took to wearing get get ready. Are you ready? I took Mm -hmm. to wearing baggies to pick him up on a tandem. And that way I wouldn't scandalize the moms walking no in No grape there. smugglers at the kids pick up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right, right. You know, meanwhile, they're all in their, you know, leggings. Right. Uh, right. But somehow I was the only person who was out of decorum showing up in cycling right. kit. So I, I think, you know, we just we have to embrace that absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, absurdity is is about 75 percent of how I get through each day. Just laughing at all yeah. the craziness. Yeah, it's it's a good I've found it's a really good way for me to go. You know, if you're a cyclist and you live a lifestyle that includes getting on a bicycle, working very hard while riding in a large circle and coming back to where you began, you are living an absurd life. (laughs) Yeah, well, and, you know. One of the things about me laughing at myself is to me, that's like a a check on just how honest I'm being. 
There's a lot of absurdity in the world. And so there's a lot to laugh at. But the moment I try to think that I'm above the absurdity or apart from it, (laughs) I'm way out of line. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, because my blast radius of absurdity around me extends a solid 12 feet at most every moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing. And I think that the the pervasive idea, at least in the United States, because I'm not intimately familiar with cycling culture or other places, but here that the serious cyclist is the one that has all this stuff on and the unserious cyclist is the one who doesn't. That just doesn't square with my experience. Yeah. You know, here's a funny little data point, and I'm sorry we don't have him around anymore as a pro cyclist. Taylor Finney's last season as a pro, he was living in L.A., and he would go out and do his training rides. You know, stuff where he's like putting out five, six hundred watts for a while Mm -hmm. in jeans, a T-shirt. And a jean jacket, no helmet. Mm. Dude's <laughs> laying down hundreds of watts, looking like, uh, well, an LA hipster, which is right. which is probably the ultimate LA hipster statement. Really, I mean, <laughs> he he just killed at that, you know. And it's the logical conclusion of LA hipster. Right. Yeah. Right. The single the son of the single most winning pro rider in US history, Davis Finney, uh who I I'm not even sure what Taylor's up to now. Last I knew he was doing a lot of painting and his painting uh expressionist stuff, you know, abstract. It was really solid work. I liked what he was doing a whole lot. Uh, but yeah, in addition to being, you know, in, uh, you know, skinny jeans, jean jacket, t-shirt. Yeah. 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 He had paint all over his hands from being a painter when he wasn't training. Yeah. I, I'd love that so much. I, I would personally contribute to a fund to bring him back as a pro rider just so he could continue (laughs) that outlandish version of what it was he was doing. There's a piece, uh, I forget what magazine it was in now, which makes me feel really terrible. Steve forwarded me a photo that he took of the piece in the magazine. And the, the piece was called The Ape Man of Pasadena. Uh-huh. And it was written by a person who, they tell the story about getting together with their um, highly technically clad friend and uh, getting on their very expensive state-of-the-art mountain bikes and doing this incredible technical climb that shatters them both and they reach the top and they're sort of high-fiving and they turn and look and there's a person coming up behind them but it looks like they're on a kid's bike and they're like what the heck is happening and this person is just getting closer and closer and then finally this person arrives and it's a dude shirtless with jeans on and high tops on like a little kid's bike that's had ape hanger bars put on it awesome (laughs) yeah and the the Dude arrives and is like, hey, what's up? It's beautiful up here, isn't it? And then turns around and dives back down the hill that they came from. And they were like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we're not all of that. (laughs) I guess. 
I guess all this stuff that we layered on to do this wasn't all the way necessary. Yeah. But hey, it's a great looking costume. <laughs> all right. What do you say we take a break and we will be back in probably a minute or so? Um, maybe maybe I less like for it. them. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your pull. Patrick, what do you got? I got a question the other day from a friend. It was simple enough, and it, this wasn't flipped to me like, you should talk about this on the Pace Line. <laughs> Mm. She she simply messaged me through Facebook messengers like, which helmet mirror do you like? And my answer being that I like comedy was I, I don't um, I yeah. don't like helmet mirrors just as a rule, as a category. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say they're bad per se to go full Latin here, but I do think that they are a poor solution to a serious need. So. The standard argument I hear from mirrors is that you can see all of what is behind you without having to turn around. So score one for convenience, right? Not so fast. Sure. Uh, so I'll just beg everyone's forgiveness now on the front end of this. We're about to take a left turn into some neuroscience. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm supposed to apologize for this. Uh Anyway, so there's a brain function called gaze detection. This is something that takes place in the visual cortex, and it's aided by processing that takes place in the amygdala. Uh, Reptile brain. Yes. Uh, fear center. Um, you know the saying, the weight of a stare? Sure. Okay. We've got circuitry that picks up on this. That's why we can talk about that thing, because it's a thing. Uh, so, yeah, the phenomenon is called gaze detection. And the reason the amygdala is involved is because being able to detect the gaze of a predator, thing that eats us, is a handy thing for survival. Um, we are actually so attuned to this that we have the ability to pick up when someone's head is turning toward us. So obviously the question is, why is this useful? Well, because turning my head toward an approaching vehicle, uh, part of what I'm doing is aiming my gaze at the driver, knowing that they are a good deal more likely to see me if I'm looking at them. I've had a number of experiences where a driver flat out did not see me and may well have hit me had I not been looking at them and their eyes met mine in the last year. I've twice been waiting to make a left turn and the driver, uh, who was to my right and making a left turn, 
uh, was cutting across the left turn lane. Um, <clears throat> this would be the lane that I was in. Danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. Um, like one time I actually had to pull my bike back so that they didn't catch my front wheel. They were cutting it so close. Um, and both those occasions, uh, I think they really would have hit me had I not managed to meet eyes with them. Once they saw me, once we locked eyes with each other, they course corrected. And it was a very distinct little veer. Um, mm. On one occasion, a friend of mine was to the right of that car making a left turn with them. And I thought, oh, great. I'm not going to die, but she's going to kill Grant instead. Yay. <laughs> uh, you know, because I've never liked Grant. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. I don't know. Grant, Sorry. Grant is awesome. Um, and. You know, I'm just like she hadn't seen him either. She had no idea that she was, you know, within at, at one moment, she was within six feet of two different cyclists. Didn't have any idea until she finally noticed me. <sighs> so I do know that this has worked for me a number of times, but I think of all the times that it may have worked for me that I don't even know about. And I suspect I may have saved my own life once or twice. I mean, there have been occasions where I'm staring at a sunlit windshield, knowing I can't see the driver because of the reflection on the windshield, but I'm just going to stare in their direction, hoping that the fact that my head is pointed toward theirs is going to make them notice me. Um, there's also the simple fact that there have been any number of times I was trying to make a lane change in order to make a left turn. And if you stick out your arm, but don't turn around to look, I can't speak for where you are, but here in Northern California and well, also in Southern California, I can attest a great many, perhaps even most drivers will not slow down to let you over. They want you to make that eye contact before they let you over. Yeah. Uh, to them, yeah. it's a clear signal that you know what's going on. Um, if you don't turn your head around, they're just, they're not going to make any accommodation, no matter what you're doing with your arm. There's uh, definitely a transaction. I mean, it's even true when you're driving, right? You yeah. see, you're, you connect and like agree on what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I get that things can be a little different from one place to another, Um there have been parts of Boston I've been driving in where like, if you don't nose your car out into the moving traffic, they're just <laughs> not going to let you in. <laughs> That's right. That's and, right. And that is a phenomenon I have not experienced anywhere else. Nowhere else in New England did that ever occur to me. It definitely didn't happen for me in New York and the entire rest of the country. That is totally off, off, off the table. I used to call that the Boston maneuver where you'd be driving along and then suddenly someone would basically threaten to pull out in front of you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're, they're just slow motion pulling out in front of you as if to say, look, this is happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they were in a reasonable, uh, it was a reasonable response given the constant stream of traffic that you were a part of. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I they mean, I... I use the Boston maneuver now in crosswalks because uh, in a lot of the world, a crosswalk is a sacrosanct space yeah. that belongs to pedestrians and drivers are very uh, vigilant about it. Here in New England, that is not the case. And so a lot of times there's like a little game of chicken 
which as a pedestrian sounds terrible because, you know, if it comes if if it comes to that, you're going to lose. But there is a sense of uh, the same kind of Boston maneuver where you have to put yourself you have to say to them, look, I'm going to put myself in harm's way. <laughs> and, th- and then they say, OK, fine, if you're going to put yourself in harm's way, then I will do what I'm supposed to do legally. <laughs> Just stop. Right. right. It's like, oh, I guess he is serious about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's going to make me he's going to make me follow the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I, so all this is to say, you know, one of my problems with the helmet mirror is if we're having this much trouble just being seen, I don't think the, I don't think a helmet mirror solves much. It just, maybe, uh, now I'm not even finished yet. (laughs) 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 You know, so everything I've said, I think is reason enough not to use a mirror, but I am going to add one more argument. So I've certainly heard the complaint that because aging, people aren't as flexible, you know, so using a mirror saves you from having to turn your head on that increasingly stiff neck. And I'll even volunteer that, you know, I may leave home on a long ride with a neck of a. Uh, I don't know. My my neck's a little old for me. So maybe it's a 60 year old yeah. neck. I'll get home with a 70 year old neck. I know, you know, sure, you, you sure, give sure. me five hours on a road bike. It's yeah. a different neck when I get home. Um, but this is to me precisely why you shouldn't be using a mirror. You should be working to turn your head and look around. The less you flex your neck, the less you will flex your neck. Uh, so yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. If you want mobility, I don't know, be mobile. You know, there's an, there's an argument to be made there and maybe you're about to make it. I'll just be quiet. (laughs) No, go for it. Jump in. I was going to say that if you can't, if you don't think you can turn your head, you shouldn't be out riding where there are things to be afraid of getting hit by. I I don't want to tell anyone don't ride a bike, but really like I, you wouldn't go out in your car if you couldn't turn your head. Yep. Um, because you're going to run over children. Um, and while many children deserve to be run, no, I'm kidding entirely (laughs) when I say that, um, it's just not safe. And I would say the same thing on the bike. Like if you legitimately don't think you can turn your head very much, you just shouldn't be out riding. You should be at physical therapy. Uh, you know, I'll I'll grant a little more latitude than that. Like, I, you know, stay on a bike path, go mountain biking. Uh, sure. Something where turning your head, you know, 90 degrees isn't as necessary. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that is a, a real issue uh, safety wise. And, you know, also there's the fact that, like, being able to turn your head and track the bike straight is just a really good handling skill that sure, is, sure, sure. that just plays to core strengths on a bike. And so at every turn, I'm like, mm, no, not use, not having a helmet mirror is a better solution. Uh, I'll, I'll add a layer to your um, vision, your neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I just finished this book, Helgoland. Uh, by Carlo Rovelli. It's about quantum mechanics. Um, and lest you think I'm brainy, 
Um, most of it totally eluded me, but there was a fantastic <laughs> bit at the end where he talks about how vision works. Mm-hmm. Our and the the analogy was, you know, we think uh, we're now in the time of quantum loop theory and. Um, uh, you know, splitting subatomic particles and physics has come a long way since Newton, but we're still living with a Newtonian conception of the world. He, uh, as a, as an analogy to that, he said, look, most people think that the vision consists of information flowing from the eyeballs to the brain uh, and being parsed. Mm Mm-hmm. This is this is incorrect. Uh, the um, direction of that um, thought begins in the brain and goes out to the eyes. So what hap- What is happening when you're seeing is your brain is predicting what oh. mm-hmm. what's out there. Yeah. So it's it creates. Um, it creates what you see. Yes. And then when things move in your vision or don't match up with what your brain predicted, you perceive motion or different or whatever. That's when the, the, the information flows back to your brain. Yes. Which is why I would argue, uh, motorists often say things like, I didn't see them. Mm-hmm. when they were right there. And it's because their brain didn't project them there. They didn't predict that there would be a cyclist there. Yeah. That lack so of expectation of bikes being on the road. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That jibes with the actual way vision works, which is that, and especially as you get older and see more of the world, your brain theoretically predicts more accurately what's really in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and but, I mean, it's, but it's things- very common and regular that you don't, you know, as like me trying to find the half and half at coffee time when it's right <laughs> on the top shelf in the middle. And my wife is like, it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I've had that confirmed any number of times by drivers saying, you know, you shouldn't be on the road. They don't want to have to see us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can relate to that. Like I, like, like I'm a shark and they're a jet, right? So we're automatic enemies, uh, even though I drive a car all the time, but I get what they're saying. Like you want a predictable experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, because that's when you feel safest and when you make your best decisions. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons that I am so supportive of people going out in the world on e-bikes you know, the more drivers that we can get on bikes of any sort, you know, they, they get used to the idea of, oh, bikes are out there. And when they get back right. in the car, they're much more likely to see bikes uh, because it's now part of their conception of what happens on the road. Again, yeah. brain science. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, well, I think we've solved that for the world. <laughs> no. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> if you if you still like your helmet mirror, it's okay. It's absolutely silly looking, but it's okay. <laughs> Do it. We still love you. <laughs> I would have a lot of trouble putting my glasses away if they had helmet mirrors on them. 
And then there's the fact that I've got multiple pairs of glasses, so I don't want to have like eight mirrors. Yeah. I'm lazy that way. Or, or is it I'm there spoiled some, that way? There are some very clever mirrors out there, uh, like little bottle cap ones. And um, yeah. 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 Not for me, though. No, no. Uh, I'm, you know, truly, I am a whole lot more comfortable turning around and looking at the traffic behind me. Um, yeah, you know, I don't just to be real about it for a second. I have a hard time trusting what I'm actually seeing. Forget about what I might be seeing in a mirror as a driver in New England. You know, you have to use your mirrors a lot, but my head is on a swivel. Mm -hmm. If you drive down Massachusetts Avenue, commonly known as Mass Ave, uh, and I've been hit by cars there and there is so much happening that you really have to. Yes, use your mirrors, but also, you know, make that eye contact and look around and, you know, you got to be on it. I would want curb feelers on both sides of my vehicle if I was driving <laughs> in New England, or at least Boston. Yeah. Yeah. I have my new car has the backup camera and I can't I can't use it. I just it's useful in a way, you know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's not. Because it's not me seeing, uh, I have a hard time gauging the distances and it's, it's, I would say it's modestly useful, but it's one of these things that I think gives people a false sense of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was the woman who bumped into my car, uh, who <laughs> said you weren't my camera. <laughs> okay no, no i wasn't <laughs> it's like what do you say to that <laughs> yeah well i got hit by a car one time and a wo the woman uh the driver said uh i didn't see you there and i said i hope not <laughs> <laughs> that was the adrenaline talking apparently the adrenaline is more clever than i am but <laughs> she sort of looked at me dumbfounded and i was like <laughs> I think it sunk in what, you, what I had said to her. She got back in her Volvo, which is a very safe car. And, uh, I, Boxy, and I rode away. Yeah. I, I mean, there really is a certain genius to that, I hope. Well, there's the, right, because the, if she saw me and still hit me. Right. I mean. That's pretty antisocial. That's about as antisocial yeah. as it gets. Now you're suddenly you're an attempted murderer. Right, right. Not just You're, clueless. I can right. accept and forgive cluelessness, maybe. <laughs> it's sort of defensible. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Deliberately yeah. mowing a person down with a car, not yeah. ex exactly defensible. Does anyone ever hit someone with a car and say, I saw you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, at that point, do you skip straight to got ya? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, there was the time that I was in my car and was rear ended by another car. And, you know, I'm I'm like crunched up in my car and the woman gets out and comes over and says, I didn't see you. And I said, well, how I'm in a whole car, you know, right. if, she, if I'd been on a bike, <laughs> I could sort of accept that answer. But it's like this is a Subaru station wagon. How do you miss that? Right. How, how, you know, it's like 
And again, it goes back to what you were sharing about. Yeah, we uh, we are prediction machines. And yeah, she did not predict a station wagon in front of her in the turn lane. No. And this, you know, I, I, I don't want to like spiral this out into uh, <laughs> space, but this is why distracted driving, you know, cell phones and stuff like that is so um, dangerous because when you are looking at that thing, your brain is then not predicting what's through the windshield. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like You really need that information, even if it's made up, <laughs> you still need it. Yep. Yep. And so. you need to be doing the comparison. So anyway. Yeah. Alrighty, let's move on to Paceline Picks. All right. This week I'm picking footbeds, insoles, oh. inserts, uh-huh. whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, your pedaling connection to the bike begins with your feet. True. And few cyclists I know spend any time at all making sure their shoes are helping them more than hurting them. <laughs> They'll spend hundreds on a pair of bib shorts and then just throw whatever the manu- shoe manufacturer thinks is right in the shoe and pedal away. So we begin to um, be- begin and end our shoe search with shoe size, right? Which is a brute force measurement rather than the comprehensive guide to fit many of us need. The result yeah. then is like numbness, blisters, foot fatigue, pedaling inefficiency, even back problems. Hot spots. Yeah. If you finish a 50 mile ride and feel like you walked those 50 miles, you might need some insoles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can attack this problem a few different ways. Some shoes now come with variable arch supports. Um, I highly recommend taking the time to dial in each foot, not just like putting those in the shoe box and throwing the whole thing out. <laughs> Um, there are also fitters who will make you custom footbeds, and these aren't prohibitively prohibitively expensive, uh, and it'll turn whatever shoes you're wearing into clip-in Lamborghinis. Yeah. <laughs> Alternatively, you can buy off-the-shelf inserts, Superfeet, Sole, Oboes, Cetus, uh, or see a podiatrist. You'd be surprised what a different, uh, a different, you'd be surprised to find out what a difference they can make to your foot comfort and then your ride comfort and how that will impact your overall fatigue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a great pair of insoles from my friend Toby at bike fit Asia. Actually, if you're in Singapore, shout out Toby. <laughs> okay. It's a good. Okay. It's a good guy to talk if to. If I'm passing through Singapore. Got it. Yeah. Next time you're in Singapore, uh, give him a call. So these are, uh, they're made by G8, and they are the Pro Series 2620. They come with five different arch heights that clip into the footbed, so you Mm. can kind of test what works and what doesn't. Um, If you've had some injuries, even not even foot injuries, but further up, you'll find that uh, you may have asymmetry in your feet, in how you stand and how you how you then pedal. These retail for 129 bucks a pair, which seems like a lot relative to the sort of fixed inserts, like Superfeed, I think, are 30, 40, yeah. $45, somewhere in that uh, range. But these are completely adjustable, and you can change them 
you can take them out and put them in different shoes with a different arch if that shoe already provides oh you know different uh-huh. arch to your other so the adjustability is super important there's that level of customization you can have different arch in different shoes they say on the box i have it here it says on the box five arch heights 11 possible positions for each foot 3025 possible combinations good grief good grief that's just math they're using there but um if you have had injuries if you're a long distance rider if you know you have imba- imbalances in your pedal stroke and your fitter can tell you that mo- a lot of folks most i won't i don't want to say most folks do but i would say a lot a high number of people do have unbalanced pedal strokes yep this is the thing you want to you want to get after g8 also makes moldable insoles heat moldable mm-hmm. so if you want to have a fixed uh, solution you can make that those are 84 dollars uh they also offer heel wedges and these things called met domes which is like a pad that goes under the ball of your foot to oh. keep the to keep the front of your foot uh sort of spread in a yes. in a stable way so yeah g8 check them out that uh they're met dome uh i've encountered a few footbeds that do something similar like that like the specialized ones uh yeah that that effort to put a little bit of pressure uh under the metatarsals um in spreading your toes out that's one of the things that actually helps with hot spots for people yeah sure those sound really cool uh i know lake uh because i've reviewed them lake offers some heat moldable insoles as well uh Mm. just stick them in your oven um and then yeah uh they're they're interesting to work with um for me it's been a little interesting to try to make sure that they contour correctly beneath my uh my arch and my foot because i have a very high arch um but yeah uh for diyers um there are some really neat opportunities out there the high arch in these G8s is really high. Like I looked at, I tried it just to see what it was about. And I was like, wow, there are humans built like this, you know, like, so <laughs> But I, I do think, you know, if, especially if you're getting uh, older, like, uh, well, we all are, um, this is a place that most people haven't looked to improve their on bike comfort. Agreed. And I, it's so worth, it's so worth a little bit of effort. I can attest that it can make a big, very pleasant difference. Yeah. I'll put a link, uh, g8performance.com, but we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. So this time of year, uh, uh, I often roll with arm warmers for morning rides. Uh, Those cool fall temperatures make having a short sleeve base layer rather than sleeveless base layer a reasonably important piece of, uh, of cycling clothing to keep me comfortable in that first hour of riding. So this week I'm giving the nod to Volet for their dry tech short sleeve base layer dollar for dollar. It is my favorite base layer on the market. The dry tech fabric wicks very well, but still provides enough loft to be warm on cool days without making me overheat once the sun does come out. 
Um, plus the fact that it has sleeves means I'm not left with under insulated shoulders. And if you want to make me, make me cold or make me feel cold, cold air zooming through the sleeves on my Jersey and making my shoulders cold, that will chill me. It absolutely will. I hate it. Um, so I need sleeves extending down over the ends, the, the cuffs of my arm warmers. The other detail about this layer that makes it so great is that it only goes for $40. Buy two of them, you get free shipping. <laughs> there are any number of brands that sell a similar quality base layer in the range of $60 to $80. Plenty of them, truly $80. Right, right. Uh, I don't know of another short sleeve base layer that is so inexpensive. And trust me, I've actually I've checked most of the big brands um, as well as most of the custom brands. Most base layers in this price range, you know, anything below $50, they're generally like gossamer right. light and sleeveless. Um, yep. <laughs> hell, the, what's really funny here is Volet's dry tech, dry tech sleeveless base layer is only $35, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it absolutely the least expensive base layer I have found on the market. Um, and, you know, naturally, the next thing people are going to wonder is, well, is it any good? Is it going to last? Um, the quality is high enough that one of my short sleeve dry tech base layers from Valet is at least 10 years old. It's actually at mm. least 11 years old. I owned that thing prior to the start of RKP and mm. I'm still using it. And no, it doesn't smell like a super fun site. Um, <laughs> Because we know what polyester can do, right? What about a me mediocre fun to cite? Mm, it's even better than that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> For any of you out there like me who are uh, just American as hell, that, uh, Patrick is saying volet. You might know them as voler. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm big on trying to say things the way the person with the name says it. And so oh, the employees, no, you're say not Belay. wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, well, me being respectful is always kind of a day to day challenge. Um, sure. You know, and so I, I look for the little cues that can help me out so that I, I see yeah. a little less odd. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one other little detail is if you sign up for their mailing list and God knows we all need to be on another mailing list, not, uh, they do run sales a couple of times a year and I have actually paid south of $30 for one of those, uh, base yeah. layers. I think there are four in rotation in my drawer. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh. Cause I, you know, every now and then I'd be like, you know, I could use another one of those. <laughs> um, yeah. so it's a, it's a pretty dynamite piece. And I know that people don't really get excited about spending North of a hundred dollars on a base layer. It's like, ah, right. that's a whole right. Jersey right there. So saving right. money on base layers is something I get. And this is a great way to do it. <laughs> All righty. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. So John, with your, um, impending ultraness um are you yeah. even on the bike currently or is it just all run 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 uh it's actually i'm at i've now reached the point of no running mm. so i've run all the running that is going to help me 
okay. uh, which is nice. Uh, so now I'm splitting my time between the bike for, you know, kind of easy, you know, a couple of hours of just easy rolling to get the heart rate up uh, mm-hmm. for that period of time. Uh, and actually very long walks. So one of the things about uh, running an ultra is that it's difficult to train your body to be on its feet for that period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. So even just like this morning, I walked not, I got up at six and walked nine miles, uh, before coffee. Um, just having that sort of load in your body without at this point tearing my legs down. Right. So walking is much more gentle. So yeah, I'm trying, this is like, this is the taper, even though it's still a pretty involved everyday movement plan. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, but, you know, a good taper is two weeks. So, yeah, I get yeah. it. Well, and this, this it goes back a little bit. There's a piece I wrote on the site well, going back a few months now about how runners need to ride and riders need to run. Yeah, yeah. I I at least hike. I have not been running. And that piece actually it rattles around in my head here and there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have to love running, but if you get out, you know, one time a week and, and just slow jog three miles to get that load into your bones for, you know, especially as you get older, you may not uh, end up with osteoporosis, but you'll get osteopenia, which is a weakening of the bones uh, just because they haven't been loaded properly. So riders do need to run uh, and hike. And I really think runners, especially as they get older, need to incorporate the bike as well to keep, uh, keep their cardiovascular capacity up without tearing their joints apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could benefit from that myself. Yeah. Hmm. All right. It's we're in a tough spot where I look like the smart one. So let's move on to the, uh, (laughs) to the closing (laughs) bit. (laughs) Okay. Well, we are going to remind folks that you have a new podcast with Steve Knievel of all hail the black market. It's called revolting. Um, I will continue to insist that that's not uh, a truth and advertising sort of title. Uh, But you guys chose it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing we can't agree on is that it's not a po- cycling podcast in the traditional sense. So there is that. It's a it's a different sort of thing. But the bike I think appears awesome quite a bit, but it does not revolve around the bike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Alrighty. Keep those questions coming. You all send us great stuff. If you got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Enjoy the ride.